0: All right, well, we are, we are in the book of Acts. So turn to the book of Acts with me. Uh, we highlighted last week kind of an overview of what we did, uh, flying at 30,000 feet over the, the book of Acts and touching down, dipping down into the water occasionally. Um, and then we looked at verses one to five together. This morning, uh, verses six down to 11 has to deal uh, with the ascension of Jesus Christ. The Ascension of Jesus Christ, that's the topic for this morning. And I'm going to read for us verses six down to 11. We're going to ask the Lord for his help. And then we will jump in to see uh, why believers need to know the ascension of Jesus. Why is it so important? That's what we're going to tackle. So here's what it says. Acts 1 verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help. It's already been prayed this morning. We're We're in need of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to impart truth into our lives, not just into our brain, but into our heart. So Spirit, would you please help us in these things? We desire to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, as you guys know, Christmas is just around the corner. In fact, uh, if I ask, maybe some of you have already pulled out the Christmas bins. Uh, Maybe some of you have already hung the Christmas lights. Uh, Maybe some of you think that's blasphemy, that you would do such a thing uh, before Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, uh, Christmas music is already starting to play somewhere, either in your home or in the grocery store. And we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that is rightful and good for us to do that. And then come March, at least this year in March, if you guys didn't know, Good Friday is in March and Easter Sunday is in March as well, the end of March. And on those two days, we celebrate the death of Christ and then we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we don't talk about anything else Jesus did until Christmas the next year, as if nothing else happened between the resurrection of Christ and celebrating his birth again uh, eight or nine months later. That is because we view oftentimes the ascension as being insignificant to some of the other events of Jesus Christ. We may see it as one of those that things that, yeah, it happened, but uh, did did it really matter or what was really the significance behind it? There's five major events in Jesus' life. We could say this, there's the birth of Christ, there's the death of Christ, there's the resurrection of Christ, but it does not stop there. There's the ascension of Jesus Christ, and then there is what? The second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. We rightfully highlight many of those, but we don't always highlight all of those, and the one that gets dropped to the bottom and sometimes not even on the list at all is the ascension. This book, if I give a little context here as we jump into understanding the ascension of Jesus Christ, is a book of transition. Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. He is going to to, uh, leave the Holy Spirit, or God the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's about to hand off the missional work of Jesus Christ to 11 uneducated, ordinary guys who have never planted a church who have never seen or experienced a revival, who have never even confronted Jews or Gentiles with the resurrection. From the view of man, this looks like an absolutely ridiculous idea of Jesus. This is an outrageous idea. Jesus would say, hey guys, you're now in charge of of spreading the gospel. You 11, seven of which are fishermen, go and share the gospel. Go and do the work. And Jesus, up to this point, has been preparing them. In fact, we looked at this last week, uh, what Jesus was doing for 40 days after the resurrection, all the way up to this point here, before the ascension. In fact, in Luke 24, 44, it tells us that Jesus was teaching them over and over and over again. And then it says this, their minds were open to the scriptures, they finally began to understand what it meant that Jesus was going to go to the cross, that Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world, and that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, and their minds were blown. It was like information overload is finally the, the Old Testament and all the, the truths of the prophets that were told. And now what Jesus was saying, it was all coming together. They were able to understand it in a way that they'd never understand it before. And now they were standing there with Jesus, probably wondering things like, hey, uh, what are we to do now? Our minds are blown. You've been teaching us. You've been instructing us about the gospel, and, and, and you've been telling us all these truths, and you've been, been informing our minds and our hearts about this, but, but what are we to do now? You, you're going to leave us. What now, Jesus? What's the plan?" How am I going to get empowered for this ministry? How how is this this gospel going to go forth? What's our motivation going to be? And and Jesus, when are you going to come back to restore the kingdom? These are all things that are on their minds, as as it would be on on your mind as well. If you spent all this time with Jesus and and now he starts telling you these wonderful truths and how you're going to carry the baton, the questions you would ask is this. How are we going to do this? How are we going to pull this off? How are we going to stay motivated? And when are you going to come back? I think sometimes when it comes to the ascension of Jesus, and I'm sure it was on their minds, the disciples' mind as well, is like, hey, Jesus, how about you just stick around just a little bit longer? I think we could do better if there's just more than 11 of us. Like, don't you think like this mission, this movement that you're talking about to span the globe needs more than just 11 guys to pull this off? Like, could you just wait just a little bit longer? Jesus would obviously say, and as he said to him before, it is better for me to go. It is better for me to ascend into heaven. It is better for the Holy Spirit to come upon you than for me to be right here with you. And I I think sometimes we have the same kind of mindset of, hey, if Jesus was with me all the time, I probably wouldn't sin as much. If Jesus was with me all the time, I probably wouldn't have as much anxiety as I have. If Jesus was right here next to me, you know what I would do? I would would always evangelize and tell them about my friend Jesus. When the reality is, the sinfulness of our heart would keep you from doing that still. In fact, it is better that Jesus is not with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That it's better that Jesus physically is not here with you? Because it is. It's far better for Jesus to live within you than it is for him to live beside you. And this is what he's trying to say to his disciples. Hey, we've got a plan here. Jesus has a plan here. God has a plan for for salvation and how it's gonna go to the ends of the earth. And step one is this, I gotta go to heaven because I need to empower you with the Holy Spirit because it is actually better for you. This movement is nothing without the Holy Spirit within you. It gains no traction at all. And so Jesus tells him right here in verses 6, to le- six to, down to verse 11, he gives him five reasons why this ascension is so needed, five reasons why we need to understand the ascension of Jesus Christ. And I just want to walk you through this text to help you understand that, to help you see the plan, to help you see the motivation, to help you see the assurance, and to help you to know that Jesus, just like he left, will one day come back, to us and the first reason why we need the ascension of Jesus is this is that the ascension of Jesus gives you perspective on the kingdom you got one question to ask Jesus before he goes to heaven what are you going to ask him we got one question this is the question the disciples came up with Jesus is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of God (laughs) they want to know when he's coming back they want to know, hey, is this, is this the time? Is this the end times that were talked about in Joel that were talked about when you taught us? Is this, is this the times that were talked about in, in, by the prophet Ezekiel in, in chapter 36 that you're going to restore Israel back to prominence? Is this that time? Is this the time, Lord, that, that you're going to set up your earthly kingdom here on earth? That's what they wanted to know. I think it's more than a fair question. The Old Testament uh, prophets have taught over and over and over again that there would be an earthly reign of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they want to know, are you going to restore the kingdom back to that time? Are you going to restore it back and and the promises of Abraham come through of land, of of national power and of people and and this literal Israel where where Christ is reigning on the throne? Is this the time that you restore Israel to that day of prominence like you had taught us? You say, well, were they talking here about a a literal uh, reign? Yes, they're talking about a literal reign of Jesus Christ. Were they talking about a thousand year reign? The disciples had no, no idea how long it was going to be in fact they didn't know until john wrote about it a millennial reign later on all they knew is that there would be a day when jesus was going to restore the kingdom of israel the covenants of the old testament were going to be fulfilled this is what they wanted to know jesus is this that time you said when the holy spirit comes upon the people this would be the time when when you would restore the kingdom Notice Jesus' answer. Look at verse six. They came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus doesn't even make mention of the kingdom to Israel in his answer. This is telling, I think. He doesn't rebuke them for asking this question. He doesn't he doesn't say, "Hey, this is a time for to let you know that that some things have changed, that I need to amend some things here from a former teaching or or to amend some things, you'll understand it later." No, he just says this, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, saying God has a fixed time when, when when I will return, when I will restore the kingdom to Israel, and it's not for you to know those times, know those seasons, to know this consummation when it's going to happen. What, what the disciples needed were some perspective on this understanding. It's fixed by God. Don't concern yourself with the when. I think many of us are looking into the middle east right now to wonder is, is this the end i think many of us are watching whatever you guys watch uh to get your news uh, cnn fox news twitter uh instagram twitch whatever whatever the latest is out there i don't even know what is twitch like i got a twitch uh, i got twitch i don't even know i honestly have no idea what it is uh but maybe you get your news there uh but we're all looking right to Israel right now to wonder, is, is this the end? Is is World War III going to happen? And there are springing up, like God said would happen, more and more prophets trying to tell you that this is the end. And then they'll go into some sort of Bible code mode and pull out some obscure verse that is like right in the middle of our bible because of the verses even though the verses didn't come till hundreds of years later and say this is why i told you be ready on this date this is going to happen and every time somebody has come up with that date and the date has passed they've been wrong but hey we're going to try it again we're just going to keep trying and it's as if they've never read this verse it has been fixed by god's own authority and his own power you can go to prophecy conferences. You can hear prophecy conferences over and over again. In fact, I'm sure there's new books already out on, on what's happened in Israel, I'm certainly messages that are already out right now. We don't know when Christ is going to return. We don't know when this is going to happen. It says it's not for you to even know. It's not for you to know, is what it says. The times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I, and I think of this even in regards to the Antichrist. We say, I wonder who the Antichrist is. Maybe the Antichrist is Donald Trump. Maybe the Antichrist. (laughs) Maybe the Antichrist is is Obama. Maybe the Antichrist is, and we fill in the blank, right? And we go back into history, and we start pulling out these names. Who's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? And, And everybody has an idea of who it is. But listen, church, listen. Some of us are more concerned about who the Antichrist is than if our neighbor knows who Christ is. That's the point. We're more concerned if this is the end than if our neighbor's ready for the end. And what the disciples needed were perspective. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to even guess. It's not for you to spend all your time wondering about all these things. It is for you to get to work about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have some perspective, disciples. Think about this. Move in this way. This is what Jesus is saying. You're saying we shouldn't understand the end times? No, we should understand the end times. You're not saying we shouldn't have convictions? No, I'm saying you should have convictions. You should understand your Bible in such a way where you have convictions about the kingdom of God and convictions about the end times. You should know and understand these things. But what Jesus is saying, this, put it into perspective. You won't know when he's going to come back, so get to work until he does. Number two is this. The ascension gives you power for evangelism. The ascension gives you power for evangelism. Look what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, we cannot forget this. It wasn't until Jesus goes into heaven, ascends into heaven the disciples would have a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that would happen at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is essential to the effectiveness of the disciples. Jesus chose these 12 men. One of those 12 men would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. As I said, seven of them were fishermen. All of them were uh, fairly uneducated. Peter would deny him. All of them would scatter when Jesus Christ would go to the cross. These were ordinary men who were prone to disobedience. And Jesus says to them, as he told them at the open room, I choose you to be the ones who are going to go forth. I choose you to be the first generation of witnesses. I choose you with with this task of sharing the gospel and, and Jesus never gives the impression that this is gonna be difficult or this is gonna be hard. All he says to him is this, I am going to empower you with power that you have never seen or experienced before so that you can have the courage to go do what you're supposed to do. The way they'll accomplish this it's through the power that will come upon them power from the holy spirit the word here is dunamis it has the it's where we get the word for dynamite we'll have dynamic power power producing the word here suggests that it's adequate power it's personal power it's perpetual power and when the holy spirit comes upon The believer, listen to this, Christians lack no resource to get the job done effectively. Christians lack no resource to get the job done effectively. It's only a matter of activating the power of God, uh, activating the provision that is found in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left and gave them the Holy Spirit, listen church, he gave them everything they needed to spread the gospel and they would be filled with such power. That word power is used 10 times in in the book of Acts. It has to do with word and action, being empowered to speak boldly, being empowered to testify to the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, let me show you this in Acts chapter four and verse verse 31, just one, one place here. what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4, 31. It says this, and, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and there were they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God, underline it, with boldness. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer to speak the word of God. Look, keep going. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his, was his own, and they, were, and they had everything in common, verse 33, and with great power, The apostles were what? Giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon all of them. This is the empowering that comes upon the believers is they have the courage and the boldness to stand up and say I am a witness and I testify to the fact that Jesus Christ the Messiah died on the cross, took the penalty of sin on his behalf and then he rose from the grave to validate his claims as a person and the person and work of God the Father. this is exactly what the ascension does because of the ascension the holy spirit has been upon us to empower us for such great things and we can keep going and eventually we will we'll see it time and time and time again the courage and the proclamation of the gospel because of the holy spirit within them number three is this the ascension gives you a plan for local and world missions the ascension gives you a plan for local and world missions. Look what it says. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this plan starts with understanding what you will do. What is it that the disciples will do? The disciples will what? They will be my witnesses. The role now of the disciples as they are carry out the gospels to understand that they are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many of you know what a witness is. If you if you've watched any TV shows that have to do with court courts or any sort of trial, right? And and they they say, "Hey, I've got a witness." And they bring the witness, and that witness is someone who had seen of the events that took place heard of the events that took place and what do they do they give testimony to what they have seen and what they have heard what's interesting here is the word for witness that something maybe to write down it's where we get the word martyr from it's where we get the word martyr from martis in the greek Not everybody who is a witness will become a martyr, but certainly there would be those, and maybe even Jesus would would say this to them, that even some of you will become martyrs because you are my witnesses. Because you give testimony to things that you have seen and the things that, that you have heard and the things that you have experienced, you might become a martyr for Jesus Christ. And these witnesses would be the ones who were firmly convinced by faith to the point where they would even be willing to die. This word is used all over the book of Acts. Let me just show you a couple places where where it is is used. Look at at Acts 2 and verse 32. It says this, "This this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses Acts 3:15 it says and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses And Acts 5:32 it says it there as well And we are witnesses to these things and so is the holy spirit whom God has given to those who obey him in Acts 7, 58, again, it it says it says a similar thing, and they cast them out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, what, those who saw what was happening, they laid down their garments at their feet at a young man named Saul. You can see it in Acts 10:39, and Acts 13, 31, and Acts 22, 15, and Acts 20. 220 and in Acts 26, 16, it all has the idea of those who are giving testimony to the things that they saw, to the things that they heard, to the things that they had experienced. And this is what he calls his disciples. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be be the testimony of the things that you've heard, and the things that you've seen, and the things that I've taught you, and the things that you have experienced. And we need to understand this in the in the big picture of understanding what he was telling his disciples is this is that God the Father created mankind mankind decided to break away that relationship by falling into sin And so what God does is his plan of salvation would not end there, but his plan of salvation would say, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, down to the earth to pay for the penalty of sin, to cover my wrath upon the people of God through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, and he would die for the sins of the world. He would not remain dead. He would rise from the grave three days later. He would not remain on earth to tell this story himself, but rather he would ascend into heaven. The Holy Spirit would come upon the people and now it is incumbent upon the people of God to continue out the plan of salvation that God had started. We become witnesses. They're not the only witnesses. We become witnesses for Jesus Christ. We testify to who the Messiah is. We testify to the transformation that we see in others and that we see in ourselves. We, we testify to, to, to the words and works of Jesus Christ. We're witnesses. And you say, well, well, what's the plan? I'm sure the disciples are like, okay, well, where do we do this at? Well, he tells them, you do it first in Jerusalem. You set up home base and you start witnessing to the people right here in Jerusalem. You let them know who Jesus Christ is. What next? Well, after you, you do that in Jerusalem, you do it in Judea, and then you do it in Samaria, and then you reach to the ends of the earth, and many, many believe that the ends of the earth was Rome, and so, so Paul made it to Rome, and, the, and we're going, that's not even the start of the ends of the earth. But to them, that, that was the, the ends of the earth, and so, so Luke gives us this, this, this geographical guide, and, and we'll watch this as it transforms through the book of Acts, this, this plan to send the gospel throughout the world. And all of us sitting here right now should be very thankful that there was a plan to send the gospel all throughout the world because at one point it hit the city of Bellevue. I, um, I have up here in, in our offices as we, we walk up and down the stairs, uh, when this church, the original church building here was, was put together, someone pioneered a, a start to First Baptist Church of Bellevue. 1901, 1901. I don't think any of you were around in 1901, but. 123 years ago, someone decided to be a witness for Jesus Christ in Bellevue and said, I'm gonna plant a church. And we're all thankful for that. This is what they said when they they started the church. This is what's written up there in the offices up there on the document on July 10th, 1901 they gave these documents to the state and said, we're gonna plant a church right here. This is what it says. The objects for which First, First Baptist Bellevue, Washington is formed. So here's why it's formed. It says this. It shall be to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all the world, beginning at Bellevue, King County, Washington, by means of preaching and circulating the word of God by public and private teaching of the Bible, by aiding and affiliating with missionary societies in the spread of the gospel by purchasing lands and erecting buildings to carry out these general purposes and to do all other things necessary to the action of the above described work and work of the Baptist church according to the scriptures. Doesn't that help us paint a picture to where we stand right now? What was started at the ascension is carried on today. The continuation of witnesses that, that came across the globe to, to land here and say, I'm going to plant a church here. I'm going to start this. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to pull in other witnesses, and we're going to go out, and we're going to share the gospel to people. And we're going to do it exactly like they did it in the book of Acts. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going we're to we're we're teach the word of God. It's all going to be according to Scripture, Same message, same purpose, same role. You say this, what is God's plan for local and world missions? I can answer that for you. You are. Hey, what's the plan for missions in the church? What's the plans for for local outreach in the church? You're still the plan. (laughs) You're the plan. Well, I'm not going to change God's plan and come up with my own plan. I'm going to run the play that was given to us. You, You guys are the, we're the plan. We're the witnesses. We're the ones that are going to the highways and the byways and the stores and and, and out to the the kids' sports and to to all the things that are happening and we're pulling people into it and saying, hey, you need to hear the gospel. I wanna testify to what Jesus Christ has done. Number four, the ascension gives you the proper motivation. The ascension gives you the proper motivation. It says you'll be witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you you'll take it to the ends of the earth to which we are all thankful for. Verse nine, when he had said these things, as they were looking upon him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Here's Jesus as it says in verse six, they had all come together, gathered together, and all of a sudden, Jesus ascends into heaven. I, I want to take you to, the, to Luke. This is the only other place where this is mentioned. Turn to Luke. Luke 24. Remember, these are uh, this is a two-volume set, right? Luke and Acts, right? So he kind of, at the end of Luke, gives us a little preview, and then he comes back to it at the beginning of, of chapter 1 in Acts, Give it a little bit more detail. That's what it says at the, the end, of, end of Luke. Verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany. Luke 24, 50. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God so we, we get a little bit more insight here as to to what what happened here and the insight we get here is this is that as Jesus went he he lifted up his hands and he blessed them right we, we can't just look over that as if it's it means something that Jesus would would kind of lift his hands and and put a blessing upon them some some commentators believe that that this blessing, uh, had to do with the the ironic blessing in Numbers six twenty three, which which maybe you're familiar with, where the blessing that says the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. It, it could have been something like that when Jesus went up and ascended into heaven that he that he pronounced this blessing upon His disciples. We don't know exactly what it means, but we do know that there was a blessing that was, was placed upon those who were there and watching him ascend into heaven. That word there in Acts nine, going back to Acts nine, that, that word there to be taken up, it's in the passive voice, which means this, that the ascension uh, is similar to the resurrection, which was the act of the father. It was God the Father who resurrected Jesus Christ and it was an act of the Father who would, who, who would lift Jesus up into heaven. One person says that the royal chariot was sent for Jesus. What was the chariot? Well, it was simply the clouds, right? It says that he was lifted up, what? And a cloud took him. Many believe this, that the cloud there was the, the Shekinah glory cloud that is mentioned in the Old Testament. That the cloud, the glory of God would, would surround Christ wrapped in these glory clouds, if you will. And the disciples there, as it says, their eyes are fixed on this. They're, they're looking intently. The, the idea here is that they're giving significant attention to this, to which we're all saying, well, yeah, of course they are. This would have been an amazing sight to see as as Jesus would slowly and majestically and, and mightily be lifted up heavenward. I mean, this would just blow your minds. Our mouths would just drop in awe. Even though we were just told it was gonna happen over and over and over again, and then it actually does happen, we would have stopped right there in our tracks, our mouths would have dropped, and we'd have just been, as it says there, fixed upon this. And then when it's done, we would have been going like this. Did you see that? Did you just see what I saw? Did you notice what just happened there? To add to it, there was also two men standing beside Jesus as this was happening. As it says there, they're, they're gazing into heaven and these two men, they stood by him in, in white robes, which, which would tell us that these are two angels that are there escorting Jesus up in the cloud. And the two men, they, they look down and they say, hey, why are you, st- Why? I can't even say it, 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 obviously why, but why do you stand looking into heaven? I mean, obviously, angels, they're looking into heaven because they've never seen anything like this before. Of course they're looking. Where else would they be looking right now? They're they're looking into heaven because there's two angels and Jesus on a cloud ascending up heavenward. The angels here give... A bit of a minor rebuke though, don't they? I think their question is indicating this, the force behind it is not actually why. The force behind it and the force behind his departure and why he would ask this question is this, guys, you have work to do. You don't need to look anymore. Guys, it's time to go to work. I think what he's telling his disciples here as he, as he asks this question is this: Disciples, it is time to engage the work of Jesus Christ. Church. Jesus doesn't want idle disciples. Jesus doesn't want preoccupied disciples. Jesus doesn't want a stagnant church with insulated church members. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time to stop gazing and time to get working. This is what he's saying. This is the intent behind the question. Why do you stand here looking? It's time to get to work. Let me ask you, church with all that we now know about being a witness for Jesus Christ, and as you elevate, uh, evaluate even right now in your own heart, as you're taking inventory of your own heart in regards to the mission of Jesus Christ, are you standing idle or are you working? Are you distracted? Are you motivated? Are you part of the mission? There's lots of ways to get involved. That doesn't mean you have to go overseas. It means it could start right here in the church where you where you serve one another and you and you love one another and you care for one another and, and you're doing the work, you're showing hospitality, you're serving the people of God, but you're on mission for Jesus Christ. And the ascension then would be a great motivation for them as they'd be reminded over and over again of what the what the two angels would say. Hey, why are you standing there? Let's go. They wake up and they're just like, what do we do next? Oh, the angel said, stop looking, get going. Let's keep going. This would be a continual motivation to them as they also knew this, that as Jesus would go into heaven, he would one day return from heaven and their motivation would be, we gotta keep going. Lives are at stake, souls are at stake. And the mission is in our hand. Number five, the ascension gives you the promise of Jesus' return. Look What it says at the end of verse 11, this Jesus who was taken up will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This Jesus, meaning it's not going to be anybody else, this same body, this same person, the same son of God, the Messiah. As you see him go, he will one day come back. The physical return of Jesus Christ in the same way and in the same place. And this would put his disciples at ease. Okay, Christ is going to return. Same way he came is the same way he's going to come back. He's going to come back and he's going to finish the task. He's going to redeem his people and one day we'll reign together with Jesus Christ. Disciples would understand that their work would not be in vain as this promise would assure them, this word from the angels would assure them that Jesus would return in the same way as he came down. Uh, In Zechariah 14.4, make note of this verse, Zechariah 14.4. It says this, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a, a very wide valley so that One half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. In Revelation 1, 7, it says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on on account of him. Even so, amen. And this is what we need to be reminded of. And this this verse actually, Revelation reminds us of that is when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back to bring salvation. When he comes back a second time, whenever that may be, he's going to come back to judge the world. Do we have a a greater motivation than that? That when he comes back, he's he's gonna have fire in his eyes. He's gonna pull a two-edged sword out of his mouth and he is going... To avenge those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I got to ask in a group this size, and I don't want to assume anything, in a group this size, I got to ask do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is what this is ultimately about. It is about your salvation, it is about you believing. It is about you being right with God through the power of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. That that is what this is about. And if you're not right with God, I implore you that today would be the day of salvation for you. That you would repent of your sin and turn to God today and get on mission for him. Pursue Christ. And for the rest of us who have believed and continue to believe, may this be a reminder of you that you have great value and purpose in this world while you're still in this world and that is to be on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder. I think sometimes we wake up some days and go, what in the world are we doing? Why am I even here? I think some days we wake up and we're overwhelmed with the events of life, with the pressures of life, with the anxieties of life, with the distractions of life, and we forget. Why am I still here? The ascension answers that question for us. We're here to be on mission for you. We're here to see people come to know Christ, to be a witness to you to be a witness and to give testimony of what you've done for us yes lord we we have responsibilities we have jobs we have families we have work that we go to we've got all kinds of things that go on in this world but may we view those things as opportunities to be a witness for you May we see those things in in perspective and in light of the ascension of Jesus Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the plan. He has given us the power. He's given us the assurance that one day he is going to come back. And may we say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly and take us home to glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.